0: This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. My name is Stephen App. I know we say that we have a great show every week, but I really do think that we have a great show for you today. Uh, My guest is Adam Castro. He is the vice president for enrollment management at Bloomfield College, Uh, a 13-year veteran in higher education. Adam currently oversees admissions, financial aid, uh, bursar, and marketing in his role with Bloomfield. And in his spare time, which judging from his resume, I I don't think he has any of, uh, he's also the co-host of Admissions Live for Higher Ed Live. Uh, you know, Adam's really had a front row seat to the changing nature of enrollment management and digital media during his time in, this, in, in the industry. Uh, and we have a lot to touch on because of that. So let's jump right in. Adam Castro, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast.
1: My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Adam, it's interesting to me, and I mentioned this in the intro, You know, your time in higher education and enrollment management has really coincided with the explosion of digital and social media. So I'm really curious to know from your perspective, what are the three biggest changes that have occurred in enrollment management and marketing as a result of this new media landscape?
1: Yeah, I think I came along kind of at this renaissance period for higher ed recruitment. Uh, I started on the admission side Uh, essentially doing recruiting back in 2003 Um, and you know it's kind of like going from the 70s to the 80s music wise Uh, it's kind of like this just just radical change on how we did business uh, over those first few years and so definitely the first the top three things for me uh, are kind of the rise of the CRM and the importance of you know having a very organized structure to your comp plans and to your overall recruitment strategy And then finally having, you know, a platform in which to manage that. Uh, Then certainly it's kind of that era of, you know, students self-selecting, being able to do their own research, uh, not solely relying on their parents or colleges and universities to provide content. Rather, being able to go out, whether it's on the Internet, whether that's uh, through message boards, social media, and be able to do their own research and, and get to know schools on their own terms. Uh, and then finally, you know, coinciding with that is, is certainly the rise of social media and, you know, colleges and universities probably for the first time losing control of their messaging, um, you know, whereas, you know, in, in, for the history of, of colleges uh, and marketing, you know, they, they completely controlled. It was higher ed professionals. It was marketing professionals controlling the message about an institution. Their brand was created internally where now uh, students can certainly manipulate and, and change the course of the reputation for a college or university based on their own experience. Uh, so for me, those things have completely changed the game uh, over the last 14 years.
0: So there's a lot to break down there. So let's go one by one here. So starting with the CRM adoption, do you mind sharing what CRM Bloomfield College is using and when you fully adopted it?
1: So we're running uh, Hobson's platforms, and I've been a Hobson's client since back in 2007 uh, when I was director of admission here at Bloomfield, was part of the decision-making team, was part of the implementation team. Uh, We currently run uh, their Connect platform uh, uh, for our recruitment CRM. We also run their Retain platform for Retention CRM, which we're now transitioning to Starfish, uh, which is the new platform they, they recently acquired. Uh, and then we're using uh, Apply Yourself for our online application. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm well versed. Uh, I've been using those uh, platforms for about a decade now.
0: You're a Hobson's evangelist, so to speak.
1: Yes, man. I've been to many uh, users' conference, presented on you know all kinds of topics. So uh, I feel like I know uh, their systems and, and the way they do business pretty well at this point.
0: Adam, can you think of a particular example where having a CRM has allowed you to be a better marketer and enrollment professional?
1: Well, you have to, have to remember where I came from, right? So when I first started, um, you know, I was using Mail Merge and Word to send out, you know, our prospect emails, our inquiry emails. Uh, we were doing, you know, the dot matrix printer, you know, as call sheets and, and handwriting and notes Um, We had no organization, we had a territory, we had a responsibility, but there was no rhyme or reason to it uh, because there was no platform to kind of organize our thoughts or organize our strategies. So from that perspective, I mean, you think of it as as just going from, you know, zero to 60 in terms of you're able to recruit and to market for these students. We've gone from doing that and to having this completely robust now 10 year uh, of information platform. Uh, that allows us to completely organize our thoughts, completely organize our strategies, you know, not have overlapping communication, be able to know how each you know mission counselor is performing within their territory just based on simple metrics and simple reporting uh, that are automated. Uh, so it's complete we've got, I mean it's it's a completely different world now than it was um, you know, just ten years ago. So I think you know just in that respect and just in terms of just the organization, Within an office of emissions, within and being able to integrate that with your marketing efforts, you know, has completely changed the way um, we perceive ourselves as marketers. I, th- I think it, you know, we we just consider ourselves at such a, a higher level now than we did a decade ago.
0: When I hear you talk about the automation and you know each of the different platforms that you're using with Hobson's, it almost makes me think that that's giving rise to a new challenge for you and your team, which is essentially just combing through and making making sense of all of the data that you are collecting. So can you talk me through how you and your team approach that?
1: So the biggest challenge for me has been, and probably always will be, is training and getting the the best return on investment for your CRM platform. So training, you know, Commissions is a high turnover field. You're constantly training new people. People are moving up. People are moving out. Um, So you're investing a lot of time in getting people, you know, kind of invested in their CRM and how to use it and use it effectively. Uh, And there's never enough time to really sit down uh, and, you know, do a week-long training on how to effectively, you know, develop a communication plan within the CRM platform or how to create, you know, reports that you can use. Um, there's just never enough time for that because, you know, we're a small shop, you know, we have large territories, we're constantly traveling, we're constantly reviewing applications. Um, so that's, you know, the biggest challenge for me is is making sure we're putting enough time aside to develop our people and, and to, to have them use everything that's available to them. And, that, and that's what we find is probably the most frustrating thing is we just we never get to a point where we're utilizing 100 percent of the platform. Uh, you know, and I think you know, we can always be doing more, uh, whether it's a feature, whether it's a just a uh, a new strategy, a new filter, a, a new comp plan. Uh, we're never kind of quite there. I, I guess that's motivating in a sense, uh, but it's certainly a challenge for us. This training aspect,
0: Adam, is that something that you're doing throughout the year or because of the nature of admissions where, in certain times of the year, your team is actually traveling more than they're in the office. Is that something you're having to do in spurts when you can take advantage of, of having your entire team in the office with you?
1: Yeah. So we, we, we go on lockdown at certain points over the year. I mean, there's just some points of the year, uh, you know, fall travel for one, and then certainly uh, winter application review where we're not doing anything else. Um, and, again, that's just, you know, being, you know, having a relatively small staff and being lean from a resource standpoint. Um, but also, you know, knowing that, you know, we, we need to drive up yield. We need to make sure we're communicating effectively with our prospective students. And, and it's, just, it's just prioritization. So we really have and, – and the other thing is, you know – there's no stopping for us. We're not a May 1st school uh, necessarily. We certainly uh, have a better picture on where we're going to be in June 1st. Some, sometimes I say June, July 1st uh, in terms of where we're going to be with the fall. You know, so we're working throughout the summer. So we really have this kind of small window probably in August leading up to maybe, you know, September 15th once fall travel really starts kicking up again um, to kind of fit all these trainings in. And it's not just a CRM, right? It's you know, getting everybody up to date on our new viewbook and getting our talking points in order and, and getting our guidance counselor and school counselor mailings out. So there's a lot going on in a, in a short period of time. And then, you know, we do like to let people take vacation every now and, and again. So that's important, too.
0: <laughs> you're, you're very generous. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, the different features that you have within these platforms, you know, with your CRM. I'm curious, is there any capability that you wish you had with your CRM that you don't right now?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think there could be a more, you know, kind of intuitive on-demand reporting. Uh, you know, I, there's one feature in the Hobson suite of products, which I absolutely love, which I think is underutilized in the field, and that's it's called watch attributes, which is essentially, you know, taking an attribute that's attached to a student record and putting eyes on it. So the second anything happens with that, whether an inquiry goes to an applicant or an applicant comes for a visit or, you know, an accepted student files their FAFSA or an accepted student deposits, we're watching those things within the CRM. So the second those those activities go down, uh, we can alert, whether I'm alerted or their appropriate counselor is alerted or they, they, they fall out into a report um, you know, we know that that's happening and and we have specific things that we want to constantly be watching. Uh, but I think, you know, building out and giving that, you know, using that on a granular level, you know, for an, an admission counselor that just came on board, that just went through a training and being able to develop, you know, kind of that network of information that he or she is going to need to do their job effectively. I think, you know, Once that's figured out and and to kind of do that, you know, in that drag and drop environment that people are so used to now with kind of Web 2.0 stuff, I think once we figure that out and it's really easy to use, you know, on your mobile, for instance, um, that's kind of going to be a game changer in the field. uh, I don't think we're quite there yet.
0: Is that feature about mobility, Adam? You know, I'm thinking about a a counselor being on the road and, you know, you mentioned you're having your mobile phone. I'm thinking just, about being anywhere, but still being able to react to an alert when it's appropriate to do so?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, everything is app-based now, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, when something goes on in my bank account, um, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, I'm getting, you know, uh, a push notification to my phone with an actionable item. Um, And I think that's the way we're going to be going. I I think everything is going to be in real time. Uh, So when we're doing decisions, you know, let's say I'm at a high school Uh, doing instant decisions and and doing file review kind of on the spot with some students, you know, and and making that decision on my mobile and triggering a communication plan that, you know, is in motion before that student leaves the room. Um, I think we're very close to that. I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, I don't know if schools are across the board are ready for that type of uh, on-demand communication, Um, but I certainly think that's where we're heading.
0: Switch topics and talk about something that you referred to earlier as well, which is empowered students. You know, what's been the biggest effect on admissions professionals as a result of what you referred to earlier as you know students expanded shortlists of colleges?
1: Yeah, so I think the expanded shortlist has empowered students and and parents uh, as well, more so than ever before. And so I have this I have a running joke in New Jersey, and I actually told it this morning, probably for the umpteenth time in the last couple of weeks, but uh you know if I can come back as any type of student, I want to come back as a student in New Jersey that's studying at a two-year college that is not interested in nursing. Um because that student has the world, you know, at their feet, at their mercy. Um because they're gonna you know, schools are falling over um to recruit that student as a transfer student, particularly in in, in our state. Um and you know they'll go around they can shop for the best offer and they hold they hold all the cards. And that was never the case 10, 20, 30 years ago. uh, Certainly when when my generation was going to college, the school held all the cards, the admission counselor held all the cards, and and they were certainly driving the process, both from an informational standpoint, but from a a decision standpoint. If they let you in, they were doing you a favor. Um, And that almost was true at every institution. Now, obviously we know um, that there are different levels in terms of uh, elite institutions, tier one institutions, versus, um, you know, less selective institutions. And so that certainly changes the dynamic depending on the type of institution you work for. But nevertheless, I think that that dynamic has changed almost across the board now, save for, you know, the top 1% uh, of institutions in terms of selectivity. The student has so much more power now. And so I think admissions has been slow to react to that. Uh, And I think only now is we're understanding that you know, we need to have metrics that, that drive our decision making. And the student, it's going to be on the student's terms. So it's going to be whether the student wants to pick up the phone. Well, guess what? They don't. Whether the student's going to want to return an email or apply to an email. Well, guess what? They don't. Um, if you're fortunate enough for them to come visit your campus, what are you doing with that information? Because now they've indicated, you know, a certain level of interest that you need to take very seriously. And I think, um, you know, uh, historically, that hasn't been the case. So I think we're all still playing a little bit of catch-up. And the schools that completely understand that now, I think we're seeing them kind of separate themselves in the market.
0: I imagine with more students doing their research on their own, you know, without really contacting you until they're ready to apply, are you seeing a rise in dark applications as a result of this new media landscape?
1: So it's really interesting, and and I love this topic because I I find it fascinating. Um, What we're seeing at Bloomfield, I think, is a little bit unique. So essentially what students are, and I will answer your question, I promise, but essentially what students are, are doing is, is using our online application or the common application as an inquiry tool. Uh, so we're seeing an increase in students that are first source application uh, interest. Um, but what they're not doing is they're not completing that application in a timely manner. Um, so we're getting that information. Obviously, we know if a student has started an application and not completed it, whether that's on uh, our, our homegrown application or the common application. And we're taking that information. We're dropping them right into the appropriate inquiry communication plan. But they're sitting there for a while. So it's almost like they're just going to bypass our inquiry form. They're going to bypass those initial events as a sophomore, or junior or what have you. Uh, and they're just going to go right to the application. And they're going to treat that as their entry point. And they're going to sit back uh, and know that we know that that application was started and not submitted and allow us to come to them, whether that's with information or just kind of a push to complete the process. Uh, and, again, I think that almost empowers the student. That puts them in a position of power. And I think they've caught on. Uh, and they realize that that is a good, very good thing, and a good position to be in from their perspective. So, and I don't think this is a problem for what we do. I just think it's a little bit of a disruptor, and I think it's again just something that admission office needs to adapt to.
0: Adam, I'm I'm curious to know, and without making you give away too many of your secrets here, how are you communicating with that student differently than a student who has followed a more traditional path of enrollment, Dave? visited campus. They filled out an information form at a college fair. Is it an entirely different communication plan or is it just a more accelerated version of the same plan?
1: It's similar content. And I've gotten to the point where it's evolved now and I'm treating them very much like a traditional inquiry because that's what I think they are. I just think it's a new way to express it. Uh, So I don't think it's terribly different than a student that's meeting an admission counselor, you know, at their table and filling out an old school inquiry card. And doing it this way Uh, because most likely they have probably met a counselor at some point but just never filled out the inquiry card and this is just that you know their way of expressing their interest on their terms Um, but you know I I think what I like to do is acknowledge the situation that they're in with each communication so every time I speak to that student whether it's you know they've opted in the text messaging which I love or um, email communication which I hate Or a a counselor is is gets them on the phone, or they call us. We want to acknowledge the fact that yes, uh, Johnny, we know that you started an online application on this date. Uh, We're just, you know, we're wondering where you are in the process and 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 whether we can expect your application and start it the conversation at that point, and then work out from there in terms of their questions or their next course of action, which very much, uh, which very well may be. That they want to visit before they complete their online application Uh, and we will certainly you know accommodate them to do so. Uh, I just think it's a little bit of a change uh, in thinking and and I think again this is where the CRM comes in you know knowledge is power um, for an admission counselor so if they know every attribute from that student anything that we can know they're going to they're going to use that in their communication to drive you know, the end result, which is ultimately, you know, we want that student to complete their application. We want that student to visit and we want that student to ultimately to be admitted uh, and choose us. Adam, you mentioned something
0: that I can't let slide, even though it's going to take us slightly off topic here. You said text messaging, which I love, and email marketing, which I hate. I would love to know why you feel that way about these communication channels.
1: Uh, I, I, just listened to our students. I, I, recently did a higher ed live, uh, episode in which I had a student on who, who happened to be on a gap year. Uh, and we started talking about email. Um, you know, and I, and I said, I turned to him, I said, so just tell us what you think about email. He says, he says, I don't want to tell you anything about email because the one thing I don't want you to do is email me. Um, you know, and I have and I, was, and I was, so, you know, I was, more old school and when email was a thing, I, I was all about it. Uh, but now I think it's it's become a crutch in a lot of admission offices. And it's one of the things that I look out for more than anything else in terms of how we're doing our business. And the last thing I want is for email to be the source of all of our uh you know pushes to the to get students to the next level like for instance if we're having an open house or if we're having an accepted student day i don't want email generation um you know to a web form to be the you know the number one way a student has uh, RSVP'd for that event Um, we've seen historically that show rates for those students are significantly lower than students that RSVP on the phone or RSVP via text Um, and so i think it's become a crutch because it's easy to automate um you can take the you know the person out of it and you can just kind of set it and forget it um, but i think text messages is the way that students want to be communicated with if a student opts into text messaging we've seen it over the really the last two years where we've really ramped up our text messaging communication uh, if they've opted in text messaging they are so much more engaged uh, than students that don't, where in week, it becomes m- much easier for us to kind of pare down our inquiry and applicant pools and really focus in on the students uh, that have a higher level of interest in us. Um, so I think once uh, admission offices get to that point, uh, it's really going to help them with their application and, and certainly their yield activities.
0: I feel like this last section was a nice segue into this third major change that you mentioned, which is the rise of social media and how you know it's really enabled everyone to to become marketers, not just you know marketers. Uh, I'm curious to know how are you enabling students to become your recruiters, especially on social media? And you especially you mentioned this idea of giving away control. How are you balancing this concern about giving away control with creating authentic brand ambassadors who can recruit on your behalf.
1: I was, I was the worst control freak when it came to messaging, um, you know, when I came into my position uh, here at VP at, at the institution about six years ago. I wanted control of everything. I, wa- I, I pretty much built our communication plan from scratch. Um, I, w- I was handing out scripts to admission counselors on, on when you get a student on the phone, this is what you should be doing. Uh, our student ambassadors are telemarketers, or um, like robots, um, and I, I've eased off of that considerably uh, in recent years, um, and, and I'm to the point now where, you know, uh, from our perspective, organic content, real content is far more effective than anything that I could put together, uh, and we've seen it, you know, even in our communication plan. Take email again, and, and, and I, as you can tell, I'm not the biggest fan, you know, but we've done A-B testing, you know, with emails with the same exact message coming from an admission counselor and then coming from a current student with the same content, the same push to action and the read rates and the interaction rates for the email that comes from the student is almost double. Um, and, you know, that's just changing, you know, a couple of, you know, tense and, and make maybe intentionally making a grammatical error or two. Uh, you know, in the email and trying to make it really authentic or letting the student just develop the email themselves with the same messaging. Um, Students don't want to hear from me. Um, I used to love speaking in open houses and, and you know, waxing poetic for five to 10 minutes on all the reasons why a student should come to Bloomfield College. Uh, They don't care. They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from students. They want to hear from students that are here. They want to hear from students that recently graduated and have jobs Uh, And and hear from them all the reasons why, you know, they made the right decisions by attending this institution. Um, So I think, you know, that has made it easier for me to relinquish the control because I know um, that our prospective students and even our current students want that kind of content. So I was always completely scared about, well, if you're just going to shoot some video with your iPhone, you're going to be bouncing around. The the audio is going to be terrible. There's going to be no production value how are we going to put that on our Twitter feed uh, from the institution? Um, But then when you ask a student, you know, the last thing they want is a produced video. They don't want, you know, you know, the marketed video that's five minutes long that goes into every aspect of the college. They want short information from real students about real students. Um, So I've, uh, I've becoming a lot more calm these days in terms of, monitoring our social media we we know we're doing a ton of stuff in terms of uh, that's really cool in terms of student takeovers of Twitter of Instagram Uh, and what we found is you know our students are becoming our best marketers you know they know the students that are doing great work on our campus and they can find them and have better access to them to get the information uh, out from them and get it out on social media Uh, and they know what students want to hear um so we found that we our voice has changed quite a bit once we have allowed our students to really become you know our primary marketers.
0: I think stereotypes aside, it would be safe to say that your students are technically savvy. They know the platforms uh, you mentioned, you know, they know the content that your students want to have, uh, they're able to put together that content quickly. Earlier you mentioned training in regards to your staff and your CRM. I'm wondering if you're facing the same challenges with training when it comes to having a staff with a digital skill set, or in terms of collaborating with your marketing department to create the type of content that engages your prospective students.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. We, I think we relate to the social media game. I mean, to be perfectly honest, um, you know, we, you know, we were playing catch up for a long time there, but it was kind of good in a way because we were all kind of learning. As we went, you know, whether that's the admission office, whether that's the marketing office, the financial aid office, we were all trying to figure out the best way to connect uh, via social media. And I, I think we just kind of grew with it uh, and that it started very much as, you know, a news deposit depository or an events depository. You know, and now it has grown into something that really has, you know, some valuable, you know, interesting content. Um, that you're not going to get in our view book, that you're not going to get necessarily on our website, that you have to get on our social media platforms because it just gives you a whole new level of access uh, to the institution. So, you know, our students have certainly kind of connected with that. And our admission staff has has really bought in to this idea that not everything has to be buttoned up. Uh, And you can talk to students, you know, on their terms and the way they talk, uh, which may not be, you know, the way we're going to, you know, write in a view book. Um, And I think once we kind of got over that and and became more comfortable in our own skin, particularly on social media, um, that's had a very positive trickle-down effect to kind of everything that we do from a communication standpoint.
0: Adam, you mentioned earlier your, you know, need for control earlier in your career, I'm curious, is it just seeing the content succeed that you didn't create or that you didn't have control over? Is that what it takes to become more comfortable with this balance of not having control?
1: I think so. I, I, one of the biggest things I was, I was I mean, I'm, I'm still a huge proponent of it on every platform is the idea of A-B testing. Uh, it, the one piece of advice I give every office that's having problems communicating with students is uh, you have to be testing the same messaging using different, uh, you know, keywords, whether that's a different subject or a, a different voice, a different graphic, uh, a different platform entirely in terms of, you know, CRM or, or tradition, more traditional means. Um, yeah, so I, I think um, just kind of doing the research and, and also benchmarking against what other schools are doing and, and you know, read rates and response rates that, that, that are out there as industry norms you know, I think it really helped me evolve uh, in terms of, um, you know, my thinking in terms of how students want to be communicated with. And I think that's also evolving. I I think every year, um, you know, you're dealing with a a different group of students that that speak in a different manner, uh, that are using different platforms. Uh, Who knows what's, you know, how we're going to be communicating with students five years from now. I'm sure some of the things that we hold dear in terms of social media now will be completely off the grid. And there's going to be two, three, maybe 10 things replacing it. And, and we're going to have to be kind of omnipresent uh, where our students are. And I, and I think that's a very exciting thing for the field, but it also puts a lot of pressure, you know, I think particularly at, you know, small institutions that may not necessarily have a sole social media person or, you know, a large, you know, web development uh, division that can, that can kind of, you know, do things you know on the fly and and change things and and so you know and and but we need to keep up you know just as much as institutions with a lot more resources so it'll be a challenge but it's an exciting time one thing that i want to make sure
0: we get to talk about today is yields you know it's it's a very timely issue right now and i don't know what the situation is at bloomfield of course but nationally you know fewer students are applying to college uh, and that's led many schools to turn their focus to improving yield to maintain their class sizes so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how Bloomfield College has adjusted its approach to yield, and you know what's working and and what isn't.
1: Yeah. So fewer students, more applications per student, right? So that that's the challenge. It's not going away. Um, you know, we may have a, a year here or there where there's a giant movement to trim down those lists, but um, it's not going to happen. It, it's so easy to apply to college now. Um, you know, it, it really. You know, and again, I, I think students have seen this as maintaining uh, a position of strength uh, in the college shirts process and not narrowing down their choices and, and, and casting a wide net because it gives them more options. And I think they perceive that uh, as something that's important um, in terms of security uh, in that decision because it's such a stressful time for them. So not going to go away. Uh, I think the biggest thing for yield for us, and, and I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, is prioritization within your inquiry application and admit pools. Um, you cannot be, it's impossible, um, and maybe someone else will tell you otherwise, but I think it's impossible for any office of admission to prioritize every file that comes through their office. And so you have to make a decision. And how you make that decision, I think, is really important. You know, what metrics are you using um, to really qualify an applicant or an accepted student to put them on a path to get the, the amount of communication and the amount of intimate communication they need um, to make the best decision, uh, both for you and for them personally. Um, and I think that, you know, what we've done is, you know, we've done some really granular things, that, which I think are really cool. Uh, and I just had a conversation about this earlier today. It's, it's, you know, when you're text messaging a student, are they engaging? Um, are they responding to your text messages where, where you end them with a question mark, which I think is very important? Uh, are they responding to that text messages? How many times do they respond? Um, and there's a direct correlation between the amount of times a student responds to you text messaging them and their persistence through your admission funnel. Um, and it's amazing to see uh, of students the deposit how, how they're engaging and at what percentage uh, with text messaging. And the same could be said for email, though I think it's a little bit harder to quantify uh, and certainly with visits and things of the like. But I think that's that's the challenge. It's um, you're, our staffs aren't growing. Uh, in some cases, our application pools may be. Um, and certainly our soft application pools are because of how easy it is to apply. So it's all about prioritization within your application uh, pools.
0: You just mentioned text messaging and the correlation between you know, how often students engage with you and their likelihood to continue through the enrollment funnel. I'm wondering, you know, what has happened to the campus visit nowadays? We talk a lot about digital, and, and this is a, a marketing podcast, but, you know, what role does the campus visit play today in the enrollment process for these students?
1: Oh, I think it plays a huge role, but I think it's completely changed. Um, you know, I, I still think, you know, particularly when you're talking about a, a small institution like Bloomfield College, fit is still extremely important. Um, students need to experience the institution. Um, not everybody wants to go to a school that has 2,000 students. That's you know 95% traditional age students. Uh, that's on 11 acres, which is on a relatively small space. Um, you know you have to see an institution like this to know if you feel comfortable there. So that's not going to go away. You can bring up any every 360 virtual tour imaginable and show every room on your campus. It's still not going to replace you know that feeling you get when you walk into the student center, the smell. You know, the way the students, uh, you know, are, are talking to each other, the volume, uh, the energy, you can't replace that. And I don't think that's going to be replaced anytime soon. Um, but I think, you know, the level of engagement now is different. So, for instance, if a student has opt into your text messaging platform and they're on tour, are you texting them? Are you checking in halfway through that tour and asking them if they're having a great time or if they need anything? Um, those, that's capability that wasn't available even five years ago. Uh, and now it's readily available for almost your entire inquiry and applicant pool. Um, but are you leveraging it? And I, so I think that's a, a new way of thinking in terms of, of, of the campus tour. And also, you know, it's, it's how do you differentiate yourself? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of one-upsmanship when it comes to College of Mission these days. And, and um, you know, whether, you know, I talked about it in a recent uh, episode of Hired Life, You know, there's, you know, one admissions office constantly has fresh cookies baking in their admission office because they want that smell um, to be, you know, the the thing that people think about about their office every time they step in and really attribute it to their office and the people in that office. And I think that's a really, you know, high level marketing to to try to, you know, uh, connect, you know, your college with a particular feeling. Uh, When students visit and uh, so I think people are thinking on on a much higher plane now Um, and people that aren't thinking like that I think are are being left behind in terms of the, the student visit experience.
0: Well, Adam, thank you so much for, for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Uh, before we let you go, just a couple housekeeping matters we have to take care of. First of all, uh, where can listeners find you online?
1: So uh, I love Twitter. That's certainly my favorite of the uh, social media uh, outlets. Uh, you can find me at, at AdamCastroEDU. Uh, I also participate pretty actively in the hashtag EMChat um, kind of back channel that's constantly going. I think that's a great community. Uh, that's certainly how we met Stephen, and, 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 uh, just a great group of people. Um, so I definitely encourage people to find me on there. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn again, Adam Castro, uh, edu on LinkedIn. And of course,
0: every episode we ask our guests to share a couple of rock stars in the higher education space. Uh, and Adam, I believe you came with a couple people in mind. Is that right?
1: I do. I have three and it, it's, you know, it, Based on, on our topics, I think they're, they make sense. So uh, I definitely talked about Hobson's and our CRM. A lot of talented people working over there in particular. I have loved working with Brian Mikesell. Uh He's the VP of Sales Engineering over there. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter at, at BMike, Uh Brilliant guy. You know, I, I, Every time I talk to him, I think he should be working for NASA, not a higher ed uh, company. Uh, but doing some really interesting things in terms of how students are searching for colleges online. Also, Marlene Jennings, we go back a long way in terms of marketing. Uh, she also works for Hopkins. Uh She's on Twitter at mjennings100. Uh, just a really smart person. Uh, we go back, you know, when we were, you know, solely relying on prospect mailings and view books. And now, you know, doing so much more in the digital space. Uh, with active match and things like that, that Hobson's offers. So, two great uh, Hobson's uh, partners that I've worked with for a long time. And then, you know, on the social media front, I've been pumping this person up on every platform I can recently, but Dr. Liz Gross, uh, she's a social media and market research strategist. Uh, super cool person, great follow on Twitter. Um, she's at Liz Gross144, has her own blog. Uh, teaches classes on social media. She really turned me on to this idea of social listening, you know, kind of that next level um, uh, way uh, colleges can figure out how students are talking about them on all social media platforms, not just, you know, the main, you know, Twitters and and Instagrams and Facebook. But there's a lot lot more different platforms that students are talking about you on and and being able to consolidate that information and, and have it influence your decision making. So, three really talented people that I love working with. Well, Adam
0: Castro, one more time, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. I, I feel like we could probably talk for another hour and a half, two hours here, but uh, in the, for the sake of our audience and for the sake of your time, uh, we'll let you off the hook. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, looking forward to future episodes. Take care.